The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome on to the Young Player Wrap-Up of the Central Division. Danny, I have a lot to talk about here. Before we get started, tell you about a few of our other endeavors. Uh, Hollinger and I did a show yesterday, a really fun one, where we did the best blanks in the NBA that we could think of two weeks ago, and then we actually had our listeners write in on Twitter with suggestions for potential topics. We spent about an hour and 20 minutes uh, on that. Uh, That was a lot of fun and i am going to continue to beat you guys over the head with this covid daily news this one even if you don't listen regularly i think could be really helpful it's essentially 45 minutes of everything that we know about the coronavirus so far the the most important things how it spreads the illness it causes if you just came back from mars today and you knew nothing about the coronavirus this was our 45 minute summary so that hopefully could be useful to either you or potentially a, a loved one who hasn't been keeping up with it as much uh what team would you like to begin with here Danny well so the central division isn't the most stacked in terms of young player though there are some teams that have some volume here uh, I think we should start with the Bulls though I mean they have three high lottery picks that are that are in the conversation a couple other guys we could theoretically talk about brief- briefly so I-, I think probably start with their lottery pick most recently and that'd be Kobe White yeah, absolutely. And just a reminder too, we're generally talking about players with three or fewer years of experience. And if there's someone who doesn't have enough of a track record to really get into it, we will note that, of course. And for those players who are not rookies, we will give them a development grade one through 10 for uh, how well they developed this season. So you're going to give us some basic stats here on Kobe White's rookie year. Sure. Kobe White played 26 minutes a game, not all evenly, but 26 minutes a game, 13 points, three assists, three and a half rebounds, uh, basically 12 PER, below average, 51% true. Yeah, the efficiency, not amazing over the course of the year, and his finishing was a real struggle. I, I think he actually impressed me with his ability to get to the basket, but once he was there, he didn't have much of a finishing package, particularly early on. A lot of it was go a million miles an hour. He is aggressive trying to get into the body of defenders at the basket, but he didn't have a particularly high foul drawing rate. And also worth noting was the role. I felt like his best role was as point guard. He really had to play as a shooting guard and a scorer more than anything because he'd play in these lineups with like Chris Dunn at the three and Shaq Harrison or Thomas Sadoransky that didn't play as much with Zach Levine. Uh, towards the end, they started him after I think he had like something like five 30-point games in his last 10 games. And 
he still would struggle with turnovers uh, as well but one of the things that stood out to me i don't see if you agree is i thought he just he showed some juice he showed some pop some speed being able to create the separation and that's what makes me optimistic about his future yeah i'm i'm a little less optimistic but i see what you're seeing i just it, it, it's kind of like can that juice create good looks for for teammates enough because i, I don't think yeah. it's going to be like him scoring 30 points a night like it was at, at points for chicago but something i liked I, I thought that white's jumper off the dribble was better than i anticipated early on i thought there was something that he could that he could develop there were there, there was something that i had some misgivings about like I, I actually liked his catch and shoot at north carolina and he you know per synergy 0.9 points per possessions on on 207 jump shots off the dribble totally happy with that and you expect that to improve at least modestly with time remember this was kobe white's age 19 season so yeah i think there's there's enough to build on and i remember like when we talked about him as a prospect something i said was i'm like well even if he doesn't work as like a high-end starter maybe even not as a starter he's still going to be a positive part of a rotation and i firmly believe that still and i even feel more strongly about that than i did before yeah absolutely and i think when i talk about some of the pop i think he was able to get pretty good separation in isolation if he got switched for that mid-ranger i thought he was able to get himself pretty good looks out of that area and i think as as he learns to change speeds more and it did the game did slow down for him a little bit as the year went on uh he's got so much burst that if he can just slow down and then hit the gas pedal he's going to be able to blow right by guys yeah um couple more numbers on him as a driver out of pick and roll actually 37 percent of the time he would take it to the basket and yeah it was not a great finisher just one point per possession on those plays that's uh that's not amazing uh but and then that was when the defender went over the screen and then pretty much anytime he would reject the screen he would go to the basket but uh you'd see kind of get into these headlong rushes get out of control and on those plays he shot very poorly only 0.82 points per possession uh when you're talking about taking it to the basket that's uh not a very good number uh so finishing is the number one thing for him to improve the second thing would be finding his teammates a little more i mentioned again that he was playing in a lot of lamps that didn't necessarily have the best spacing so sometimes you'd be playing with like thad young as well who again is not spacing the floor out for him but i think if he's getting to the basket this much he really needs to have a better understanding of how to find shooters out in the perimeter and yeah well and kobe white could be the biggest beneficiary of Otto Porter Jr. actually being able to play because just having sure. a having a more capable small forward to finish plays and to draw attention, I think, could be really big for White. And also just having a more consistent role, I, I'm I'm interested, and and this is something that came up when we did the uh, the Bulls collaborative piece at the Athletic with with Seth and David Fortnite was. I'm not sure if any of their young guards are really the guy to to be the steward of a high-end offense, but I think I kind of buy Kobe White as being the most likely of them. You know, I, I would rather I'd rather buy his stock than Zach Levine if that is the specific task. Levine can do other things that I think are interesting, and we're not going to talk about him in this breakdown because he's far too old, obviously. But I like you know I, I think that White has that potential, and that is a good thing for Chicago because capable point guard play can be really hard to find. Absolutely. A few other notes too here. Uh, he, going back to his North Carolina days, he still did this with the Bulls as well. Like he could really make a difference just with how fast he pushes the ball in transition. It, that's something where and I'd like to see him again, you know, as the point guard, being the guy who gets the outlet, being the one that the big is looking for so he can push it up as opposed to playing the two as much. Uh, defensively, I, you know, he is 6'5". He's got shorter arms. 
So, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't really necessarily want him guarding twos, but I thought he puts in a pretty good effort defensively for a rookie point guard. And again, you know, we've been spoiled by Trey Young and John Morant in terms of rookie point guards lately. Generally, those guys really, really struggle. All you got to do is go back to look at where De'Aaron Fox was. And I don't think White's as good a prospect as Fox, but it's go like, look at De'Aaron Fox is one of the worst players in the NBA as a rookie and look at the strides that he's taken. And I think, a lot of the things that he struggled with turnovers finishing at the rim are things that, that can be improved and the things that can't be taught as well such as uh his shot the versatility to his jump shot and the ability to create separation and that speed uh you know i think he does bring that in uh as skills that you can build around and refine let's go to the player the bulls took at the same number seven pick the year before wendell carter jr age 20 season 11 points 9.4 rebounds in 29 minutes a game above uh, 15.5 per 59 true shooting on 16 usage that's below you know the 20 that you would expect if it was even for a position and going back to when you and i saw him at adidas nations and as a high school player we, i wondered about if carter was going to be able to take threes he still hasn't really done that as a pro 29 attempts this year and 32 percent last year yeah that there's been talk out of chicago that he should look to be more aggressive uh, with that 16 percent usage is relatively low um you know what back in high school i thought he could be a Derek favorites type it's become clear that he doesn't have that same level of explosion or finishing ability around the basket only 1.04 points per possession as the roll man that is very and that's actually on plays where he rolls to the basket not including pick and pops which again for his jump shot not very aggressive they're only uh, 11 possessions you know he, if he gets the ball on the perimeter he's usually looking to hand off to a guard uh, rather than make a play and so uh, another indication of his struggles around the basket lack of explosion I mean, he's just he's just not going to go up and try and dunk on someone and he's not it, he'll get an alley-oop that's right next to the basket but he's not like doesn't have a huge catch radius uh, on those plays and on plays labeled as cuts by synergy which generally for bigs is going to be plays where they just are past the ball right around the basket only 1.14 points per possession again the finishing is something that i hope he'll get better at but it's clear that he is not his explosion and finishing is below average for a a center and there's hope that he could kind of be this jack of all trades offensively al horford was another comparison that he got early on uh and you know i think he does have some decent feel he they haven't used his post game at all even against switches Uh, only 51 post-ups and poor numbers in that area so uh although worth noting that the bulls were really trying to de-emphasize anything in the mid-range so a lot of the post-ups that both he and marketin had were late clock plays that were kind of just throw it into him because he has the mismatch but they've wasted a bunch of time and now they're he, he uh has to kind of shoot a bailout um what about defensively what did you see from him i still like uh carter jr's his tools his effort level on that end um he what something that concerns me a little bit is that while his defensive rebound rate improved went from uh, basically about 22% of available rebounds up to about 25%, which is dice. Block rate dropped. and I, I, But I think that he still has the tools to be a reliable rim protector. And I I would need to see more of him in a kind of a different style of system to get a full a full grant. But I think the early viewer returns are positive. Both PIPM and RPM see him as a positive defensive player. One of the differences between the two is whether they... Um, whether they see him as a net positive or net negative, but I think he's a, I think he's a, a positive defensive player now. And considering this is age twenty season, that's a very good thing. 
Yeah, and I think he does have pretty good help instincts. You mentioned the lower block rate. I would ascribe most of that to the difference in scheme that the sure. Bulls played where they're having him way out on the floor defensively and they forced a bunch of turnovers because of that scheme he does have the mobility to execute that which was nice I don't know if he has the mobility to really be like a pure switch guy if you wanted to do that he's got decent feet but it wasn't unbelievable so I, I think he could be a quality rim protector it, you just you would have liked to have seen a standout skill emerge yeah. by now if you're especially given the state of the center position if you're gonna say yeah this is a guy that we're really gonna pay like solid starter money to uh, over his career that we're really gonna rely on that he's not gonna be you know he's gonna be a guy who's gonna both start and finish games for us uh, and you know i think the shooting potential is still there uh, i think his potential as a decision maker and passer is still there but uh, and again you know you had that a pretty bad ankle injury he had the thumb injury last year so he's missed some development time uh what rating would you give him for his development this year i'm thinking something like a five i mean he did get more efficient offensively but it, i and and some of that was you know taking shots more around the basket getting to the line a little bit more and incremental steps of defense and remember when we like if i'm using a five that is not a bad thing that is they that yeah. is a, a what you would expect given you know like that that is an expected return not a not a d grade or anything like that yeah i might have to go with the four just in part two to the injuries and just not having quite as much time and uh the fact that he wasn't able to develop that standout scout i mean i do think he was a really important part of what they were trying to do defensively and for a 20 year old big uh, that's not bad uh i think and maybe part of that four is that i was a little bit higher on him uh, and i just uh, uh, believed that he could develop maybe more than he has you know i don't think he should be disappointed but i was hoping for a, a little bit well, more either in the shooting or the finishing uh, areas uh to really feel a little bit better about him here's what i'll say in terms of the disappointed part of this the threshold for centers is somewhere around the like elite to very well above average you know like those are the guys who really are value adds who can stick on the floor and everything like that and I the the more time passes and he's 20 I'm not writing anything off obviously but it, it feels less likely to me that he has that kind of like all NBA upside and that's so that's a little bit of a disappointment but the overall like I think he can I think he can and will be a very good center yeah you know but yeah I'm thinking it's gonna be more like if he'd be like the 20th best center as opposed to the 10th best center I, I never would have thought of him as an all NBA type of guy sure but and I mean he does in theory have some two-way ability there's still I'm not writing off uh, by any means to be a, a quality player over the course of his career uh what did you make of Larry Markman season this season uh I mean so the number seven pick the year before Wendell Carter just a weird confluence for the Bulls uh this is Markman's yeah. third season his age 22 season 14.7 points 6.3 rebounds in 30 minutes a game all career lows 14 PER career low he did have his career high in true shooting at a whopping 56 percent uh, on 21 percent usage which was which was low and part of that was yeah and, he, and that's league average by the yes. way for those who Yes. who've kind of who've forgotten that it's been it's been so long but yeah 56 yeah. is league right at league average and, and Markin and we early in his career we lamented his his struggles from two-point range where he was below 50 percent both his first and second year he jumped above that to 52 percent but is but this was his roughest year from three where he shot 34 percent so that's that's why his efficiency was still a little bit more modest and also because doesn't get to the line a ton doesn't get to the basket a ton so he has to rely more on the three-point shot it dropped off a little bit and considering his volume that makes a difference 
Yeah, also, this is his worst rebounding season, although... Uh, again i think a big part of that is just due to the situation he's not playing next to a lopez brother any longer uh, who's a a great box out guy to open up a lot of rebounds for uh, his power forward uh he did move into a little bit more of a role player and of course he had that hip issue again uh, that was uh, an issue i mean people have gone back to because remember he had like that heart issue a year ago he had that february of 2019 when he averaged 20 and 10 and they just got an auto porter and looked like everything was rolling but who, who knows how, how long it'll be before uh that has to stop being referenced as uh the best stretch of bulls basketball since jimmy butler but uh 31 of his possessions came in spot ups and while you can point to many other flaws in his game I mean, the number one thing is just that he's got to be to really be a a quality high-end starter he just needs to be a better three-point shooter than he has been like that's got to be the foundation uh and, and i still you know there are things that he does where it looks really good for him and you're like wow look at this guy uh but then you, know, you look down at the numbers and he just has not quite been efficient enough especially given some of his defensive limitations which we'll talk about um not really a passer only 73 assists all season uh he's not that efficient getting to the basket either. I mean 65% is solid but you know league average is like 62% so that's as a 740 you'd like to see a little bit better there as a guy rolling to the basket he's pretty inefficient he, and generally he'll uh on either pick and pops or spot ups he'll shoot the jumper two-thirds of the time and either drive or roll to the basket one-third of the time which is a decent mix uh, but he's just not able to be that efficient on those drives uh I think the Bulls you know, had this big push to not shoot as many mid-rangers and to shoot either threes or at the rim. And I think while that's generally good, it may have stunted opportunities for him to grow as a, a post-up player. I talked about how, how he really struggled in the post, although some of those uh, were flaming bags with five on the shot clock when he caught it. But in looking at some of his post-up possessions, he's generally only posting up after a switch against a mismatch. And still the numbers uh, there were pretty poor. Uh, only 28 post-ups all year, and he had only 19 points on those. So under 0.7 points per possession. That's pretty atrocious. 12th percentile. And he's, again, he's really, as I watched these post-ups, I probably watched maybe 20 of the 28. He's just not getting good shots. Uh, you know, every once in a while he could catch the ball, turn it base and just shoot over the guy and get a decent look. But if he tried to back down, you know, his hook shot, he doesn't really get good extension on that. He's not able to shoot a short jumper using his length. He gets, a, he's got to get stronger. He's getting kind of bothered uh, with guys getting into his body. And, you know, this is posting up against, you know, like Jetty Osmond on a switch. Like that's your, the typical guy he's going after. And he's still, you know, that's the type of guy if he really is going to be, uh, cause problems for teams uh, as something other than just a spot up shooter. Like, that's the kind of guy that you got to just cook and he was unable to do that right and you and i have, over the years have lamented you know guys like caleb swanigan getting taken in the first round and larry market is a far better player than those guys but still as we evolve as we evolve into a, a different nba a power forward who isn't particularly good on defense and isn't really versatile enough to switch where you know like they're passable guarding different guys they to me one of the they just really have to have a calling card they have to have something that they do that makes opposing defenses freak out that could be maybe 
they're a great spot up shooter, and so you have to you have to send somebody there so they have weaker you have we, the opponent has weaker help defense. Maybe they're a great driver. Maybe they're a good decision maker. Maybe they just bust their ass in transition. Whatever that thing, like, and there are lots of different ways to succeed, but you have to actually do one of them to succeed. And Markkinen is 22. You know, it's, it, he still has plenty of time to get there. But the longer he goes without that, the less confident I am that that will develop, and the less confident I am that teams should give him the latitude and the you know the time to do it because it's not like you have to play a power forward anymore like there are a lot of other ways to do it now some teams have to out of necessity because there aren't enough threes to go around like that is a very real problem it's a very real problem for the Chicago Bulls but marketing I mean he's extension eligible this offseason and I would be very uncomfortable giving him like starter money right now no I, I agree with you there and especially those defensive limitations that you mentioned uh he watching him on switches it's really it's tough for him to guard so I mean, most teams would probably like to switch a pick and roll with their four and when the bulls do that even against pretty middling guys he was getting cooked like d'angelo russell just like absolutely broke his ankles and got a wide open three and guys you know they didn't score on him every time like it's still hard to score in an iso but pretty much every single time guys were able to get into their shot comfortably he doesn't have long enough arms to contest even if he has okay feet for you know a white european big man you know he's a little quicker feet than that stereotype and then if you want to play him at center just not able to really protect the room very well again he, he's if wendell carter is out on the perimeter trapping and then they get a four on three against him that's a tough situation but uh opponents shot 67 percent at the rim when he was in position and that that is a very poor number for a seven footer and so it's really tough to play him at center and i think they brought in Thad Young thinking that those two could play together and those guys didn't actually play together that much they went to a fourth big usually you know Gafford or Cornette instead of going with Markinet at center so I think that that says something um the one thing that again a lot of these flaws look better if the ball goes in is he's got the ability to run off of screens you know and they they did stuff like that they really uh, they had a set where uh they would set a double high screen for the ball handler and then the five would go screen market in and he could pop up to the top for a three so if you have that kind of size and that high release point and he could make the shots again i mean the teams were worried about him but there was they weren't worried enough about him that the guy guarding the screener was going to freak out you know so he was able to get open but 34 percent just isn't enough to make anyone quaking in their boots uh, at this point uh who do you want to talk about next well briefly i'll say for his development score i'm going to give market in a three i just didn't see oh it. thank you yes yes we do have to do that I, I i just didn't didn't see any improvement defensively and offensively you know a little bit there but nothing again no calling card and, and that's growing more concerning if the shot had gone in more i'd probably feel more like a four or five but fact is it didn't yeah i, I mean i think i would go with uh, a three as well i mean like i guess i mean it doesn't have to be lower like what is there anything that he got better at i mean it wouldn't have to be like a two yeah i guess that's true like he, he did he did do better uh finishing around the basket than last year um got got to the basket a little bit more but i mean still that's 27 percent of his possession so it's not like it's a ton and i think he got to the line yeah he got to the line a little bit more but yeah yeah i guess maybe it is a two then just just uh, briefly on yeah. daniel gafford um he played 609 minutes uh age 21 season Efficient, but sort of Mitchell Robinson-y in that it was all dunks. Uh, 83% of Gafford shots were in the restricted area, made 77% of those. So yeah, numbers are going to look pretty good there, but only 13% usage. The block percentage is what's most most interesting. Blocked 8.7% of opponent two-point shots when he was on the floor. Low defensive rebound rate, but again, we've talked about the scheme things. I think some of that is attributable there. And some of it is he's a little bit block happy as opposed to getting there. And that'll settle down. I mean, Gafford's 21. Generally, guys tone down on that and focus a little bit more on the shots they can get. Yeah, I think 
think he can be a quality offensive center roll man to the basket he does have the ability to get up for those alley-oops and that's an important skill to be sure defensively though feet are a little bit leaden and doesn't really have much of an understanding in terms of how to play the pick and roll and the angles at this point he can get traffic coned a lot you mentioned the scheme but when it wasn't that scheme of him getting out on the floor which he also i think was not nearly as good at as wendell carter agreed for example you know so i i despite that block rate you know it seems like average is going to be his destiny as a, a defensive center and so really for that player type to evolve i think he could be a solid backup center for a long time if he wants to be a starter though he's really got to improve to be a plus on defense uh as well and you know i'd like to see a little more offensive rebounding too only nine percent offensive rebounds you mentioned the 10 percent defensive rebounds again some of that scheme but i mean you know wendell carter didn't have 10 percent defensive rebounds no he had 25 uh, so, let, let's, uh let's go yeah. to the let's go to the Cavs. Stop. um here let's uh let's we gotta talk about chandler hutchison briefly oh yeah sure too. I, um hutchison did take a few steps forward in terms of his efficiency he looked a little bit more aggressive shooting the three ball particularly from the corners but considering where he was starting from that's not amazing he's still only taking 22 percent of his shots from three and considering that it's not like he's creating a ton of shots either uh you would like to see more of that um you know he has some ability to get to the basket but he's not a particularly athletic finisher and then also only played 23 or sorry 28 games he's 23 years old only played 28 games 527 minutes and you know defensively i think he was he looks better than he is you know he was a average at best so you know because we're so short for wings in the league i think he's going to keep getting chances but uh he's done little to establish his career uh, thus far and in particular has to get much better uh, as a shooter um let's take a quick break and then we'll uh we'll talk cleveland yeah Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife... And I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house 
else. Get that 100-night trial. They're 10 to 15-year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to remember slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. All right, so we got uh, three young guards to talk about here with the Cavs. Who do you want to start with? Let's start with Colin Sexton, the only second-year player of that group. This was his age 21 season. Averaged 21 points and three assists in 33 minutes per game. 16.3 PER, 56% true shooting on 27% usage, 15 assist percentage. That's using Basketball References version of the stat. Uh, a part of that improved efficiency overall, some of it was not having the first half of his rookie year, but some of it was also 38% on four threes per, uh, or 4.3 threes per 36 minutes, 5.8 per 100 possessions, and getting to the line a little bit more, which is important, about an extra time per game. And considering he makes 85% of his free throws, that's important too. And so I, I think the, the question with Sexton, and I don't think there's a clear answer on this one way or the other, is in order for him to be a viable NBA starter, it's can he create a enough can he create efficient offense for himself and others he certainly created a lot of offense for himself and I'm still not there on the passing it and it's it's more kind of the basic stuff of that he doesn't he doesn't like see the he doesn't always see the openings that he creates and that like we were going back to when we talked about Lamelo Ball a couple weeks ago that's a hard thing for a guy to improve on because I mean it's kind of like do you see the guy you know that sort of problem yeah on his passing it was interesting like something I'll do a lot of times is I'll look at a guy's assists and I'll say, all right, how many of these are actually good passes where you're adding value? Either number one, you drew enough defensive attention to uh, create an opening that even if it was an obvious pass afterwards that you still were able to execute or a pass that maybe not everybody would have seen. You got the ball to a guy in a position where he can really do something with it and you know it's you kind of created the play for him it wasn't like oh he came off a screen at the three-point line like you actually were able to like thread the needle and get over and actually if you watch 
the film of his assists, they actually look better than I expected. I, they actually look better than Darius Garland, who we'll talk about in a second. You know, it's not just like all of the assists are uh, just dumping into the post of the guy and then he takes three dribbles and he scores or that, you know, those kind of boring assists where you're not really adding much value. You know, I thought he did actually make a, a few nice plays, nice dump offs, good entries to guys behind the defense. Uh, but there were just exceedingly few of those plays. And moreover, very few of them are driving kick type of plays. And the, the Cavs are not exactly a wash in shooters at times, but other times, you know, Kevin Love is out there. Garland is a decent spot up shooter. Like they, Osman is, is okay. So, you know, sometimes they were playing two traditional bigs that made it harder. So uh, he has improved as a finisher. He has improved his decision-making. But I mean, when you look at the number of shots he takes compared to the number of assists, I mean, he's got to have one of the worst ratios for that in NBA history for a guy his size, you know, like 6'1 or so. Um, And and so that still uh, remains a a pretty big problem uh, for him, I think. And uh, despite the fact that he's made some real strides uh, in other ways, but just, you know, three assists a game for a guy who's averaging 21 points a game and is a guard in today's NBA is just atrocious. If we want to scale it per 100 possessions, Sexton takes... Oh, actually, I'll do that one last. He 4.4 assists, 3.6 turnovers, 24.7 field goal attempts. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. And now, I mean, to to shoot 38% from three on four attempts a game, I think he began shooting more threes in the second half of last year. And that, to me, really changed the outlook for him. Like, I have hope for him now because of that three-point shooting, which it didn't necessarily look like was going to be a big part of his game coming out of college. So uh, that is encouraging uh, that he's improved that. He's sped up his release. He's aggressive from three, looking for chances uh, to take spot-up threes uh, as well. Uh, so all that was good. You mentioned that his mid-range shooting and floater game is a little bit better. His finishing is a little bit better. I mean, to have that type of usage and league average efficiency for a 21-year-old guard is on a, on nothing a t- to On a team that, that is not making life easier on him. You know, they're giving him plenty no. of usage, but it's not like it that they're helping his efficiency. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, if you've got Kevin Love at the four, that's actually... And they do have uh, some me, capable I think, screeners and roll men. That's true. Yeah, and, and, you know, Tristan Thompson isn't amazing, but he can screen for you a little bit. He knows what he's doing out there. Like, that's not an atrocious front court. They have nobody at the three, of course, and they just have no overall passing. But, um, so I don't know. I mean, I, it's just, it's tough to fit around him if he's not going to pass more, right? If you're going to say, this is the guy that we are going to give the ball to the most to create. If you can't average more than three assists a game in today's NBA with the spacing that we have, that's just not going to work. And maybe he can improve there. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think he does work reasonably hard. I think he wants to get better. Um, he's got a little bit of a, a uh, scorer streak, shall we say. Um, and, you know, defensively, I think he wasn't as bad this year. Every once in a while, he can get into the ball and make plays but he's you know completely powerless uh, as a help defender as is his backcourt mate garland um and also worth noting that it's not like the coaching situation there in his time has been particularly stable either so that's something else uh, to realize so you know i think he has developed well like i'm actually pleased with how he's developed he was just coming from a very very low point for much uh, of last year um yeah, anything was, else you want to say I, about him or I, I, we... for development score i was between a six and a seven like i, I think he's yeah. done i think he's done well um the one thing that i uh a couple other things i noted too i think he uh is a incisive cutter like you remember that yeah. dunk that he had when zach levine let him go back door at the end of that game against the bulls but he he looks to make uh good cuts when maybe uh, the play is not there as a, a spot-up shooter so uh, i like that about him 
I also wish that he were just a little bit more explosive with that first step. I mean, I think he's a decent leaper, but I don't think he really like blows by guys and creates the separation. And so he has to continue to work on changing speeds or finding his jump shot to get to the basket. But I agree with you. I would, I would give him a seven. I mean, we really questioned whether that shooting was real. And I think he's largely proved that it is this year. Yeah, and I'd, I'd say slight improvements defensively, but slight imp- I mean, it's it's always hard when a team is this awful, and he's a guard, so it's like, you know, it's not it's not necessarily Garland's fault and the coaching instability and everything else. I'm sorry, Sexton's fault. Let's get to Darius Garland. Oh boy, number, fi- number five pick in the 2019 draft, age 20 season, after basically missing his whole college season at Vanderbilt due to an injury. 12 points, four assists in 31 minutes a game, 8.5 PER, 50% true shooting on 21% usage and if kobe white and kobe white believers are hoping that the normal arc of point guards holds true for some of these guys darius garland people have to be holding their rosary beads because that's the way this happens because his rookie year was horrifying yeah it was tough and worth remembering that he'd played you know basically five games this season before at vanderbilt and didn't have a ton of high level experience before that and was still limited in training camp in terms of his knee he did manage to play 30 minutes a game in 59 games uh, this year so that that was he managed to stay healthy and also worth noting that he got better as time went on i think particularly as a finisher not that it was good uh, by any means i mean i looked at a bunch of his finishes in like the last five six games or so that he played and i think he was starting to at least get a better understanding of what he could get away with but he also doesn't really have much as a finisher other than like the extension scoop layup game you uh, uh noted in here that the free throw rate is hilariously low uh basically a 10 percent free throw rate which is really bad and then he's only taking 18 percent of his shots around the basket as well and he's still only making 47 percent of his attempts and when he does go in there he's trying to do these like you know kind of slow down cheeky finishes under the guy's arm and that can work on occasion like he likes to get into the mid-range slow down draw the big out and then as his momentum is going towards him try to sneak past him for those extension scoop finishes but sometimes he's just getting blocked on those early on he had no idea what he could get away with he had some of the more comical rejections thrown right back in his face um so it's really i mean as as an athlete he's below average i think uh, for uh, the point guard position i mean he's kind of got backup point guard level athleticism and you know his vision i think is i would say below average for a point guard as well Cavs, Cavs sources were like high on his passing and maybe that's just because they'd watched too much colin sexton uh the year before so it's really got to come down to being an awesome shooter uh if he's going to fulfill what their hopes are for him where is he on that front i i think there were some positive signs overall garland made 36 percent of his threes took eight per hundred possessions and worth noting though that like colin sexton most of his most of garland's three-pointers were assisted it's uh 73 percent of of were were assisted and that's lower than some guards obviously but higher a higher assist rate than a lot of, than a lot of others so it's not as much self-created but i do think you know like that was a part of the appeal for Gar- for garland for, for i think for both of us going back to when he like when it was a vanderbilt and it was obviously a limited amount of skill like he looked confident in that step back but i'll, I'll give you the overall numbers too so he was so garland this year and this is on all on all shots catch and shoot 
128 possessions, one, about 1.09 points per possession. Not bad. Off the dribble, 216 possessions, so that's actually more. And 0.95 points per possession. That's that's pretty good for that. So those are harder shots, but I think he did better relative to his peers there. So yeah, I mean, with Garland, it's this whole idea. I mean, it was funny. We talked about this a lot with, with Trey Young back in the a couple of years ago, which is like, if the shot works, a lot of other things fall into place. And with Trey, that has largely happened. And he has better vision than Garland, a lot of other things too. But with Garland, the problem is it's it all his eggs are in a very specific basket. Like it doesn't seem like they're anywhere else. And I could not tell you right now whether or not that that the shot is going to be even to the point where it's passable, much less to the point where he's a real a real plus offensively. Yeah, I mean, he shot 36% and he took some pretty difficult attempts. So I, I yeah. think saying it's not passable. Well, passable, like to be yeah, a point, to be a starting point guard, to be like the guy who runs a successful offense. Not not for like yeah. a player. Yeah, I mean, I mean, for the shot to be good enough that overall he's passable. Yes, it's that's what I'm saying there. Yeah, okay. So, uh, yeah, I mean, if he can shoot the ball coming off of off-ball screens and he can take deep threes when the defense goes under. And the other thing was he was kind of reputed to have this ISO package and that didn't really work out for him very much either he just doesn't have the speed and so he just he's got to have to have so much of a threat as a a shooter and because even when he would kind of get the drop on guys a little bit uh on an opening and they would be closing out on him he wasn't really able to blow by guys even then you know you really had to again start then change speeds really fool him it it just he doesn't have the juice either with his quickness getting to the basket or his finishing i mean i I said i wish sexton were quicker sexton isn't slow garland kind of looks slow out there uh so yeah and then obviously defensively he i think he wants to do the right things but if he is in position at any play that's in the paint he's just a a complete wallflower in terms of his ability to affect people even if he does want to try so um let's move to kevin porter and uh discuss his age 19 season the 30th overall pick in 2019 yeah the closest thing to a functionally purchased first round pick that we've seen in a while because they just basically give up a bunch of seconds to make it happen porter played 23 minutes a game in his rookie year averaged 10 points 3.2 rebounds 2.2 assists about 11 PER, 54% true shooting on 21% usage, uh, 13.9 assist percentage. So it's actually pretty similar per assist percentage to Garland and Sexton, a little bit below both those guys, not surprisingly. And hilariously enough, when you consider that they've drafted point guards in, in the lottery each of the last two years, the most used shot type or most used possession type for Kevin Porter using Sergi is also as a pick and roll ball handler because, of course... Yeah, this wasn't a Cavs team that uh, did much. Uh, I, I mean, and they weren't able to create plays for others out of the pick and roll right. that much. I mean, the biggest thing that stands out to me uh, about Porter is you know, he doesn't quite have small forward size. Well, he had to play the three a lot because they had Sexton and Garland. But he's a big time athlete. And I think I didn't quite appreciate that enough about him. I mean, he really, his finishing around the rim, 72% in the restricted area, despite the fact that his right hand is underdeveloped but he's working on it you know i think he's trying to get better but he's got one of these kind of left side forward guys like a campaign or d'angelo russell where it's really just it seems like his brain just kind of wired to be just like super left-handed um but you know he gets his head up at the rim uh, on alley-oops and you know he can really adjust in the air with some of these finishes uh, so that that's something that's really uh 
impressive um the first step looks really good to me as well like that that is explosive uh also he'll go right into the body of bigs at the rim and still be able to finish i, I was also pleased that he shot 72 percent from the line which is not unbelievable for a score but considering wasn't he like below 50 percent in like very limited time in college something like that so that was that at least shows yeah, he's that 50, he's got, that was an aberration from three or from free throw line in college sorry yeah yeah that that was uh, quite poor well, well, here's, um, here's something else for Porter. I mean, we're dealing with small yeah. sample size theater here. He he took 70 pull-up threes and 81 catch and shoot. 41% on the catch and shoot, 26% on the pull-ups. So yeah like the idea that he could potentially be more of a secondary creator but then still be enough of a shooter that teams respect it i mean we're we're still in the in the small sample size theater as i said but i I mean i think that some of the some of the tools are there for that to work a little bit and then i think he becomes a lot more interesting in in that context where if a team's paying too much attention to somebody else porter has some bounce he has he has a little bit of verve you can you can make advantage there rather than just like having him be your every down back yeah, absolutely. And you know, for the thirtieth pick, if you get anybody who can play, that's uh, that's pretty good. Especially at um, the wing. You know, you, you mentioned his mid-range shooting. I mean, I think that can get better. He does have kind of this funky low release from close to the right side of his body, but he's able to get enough separation to get that shot off. But thirty-one uh, percent from mid-range is not very good. I think he can get better as a, a mid-range score if he needs to. I mean, I think he profiles more as a, a career sixth man type more than a starter because as you mentioned he's probably not qualified to be your main option and i don't think he's really more of a scorer than a shooter you know i don't think he's ever going to be for the shooting guard position a plus three-point shooter i think he could be adequate but so I, i think he'll especially on a good team i think he'll fit more coming off the bench defensively you know again he's no idea what he's doing he doesn't have much high level experience he's on this team which is uh not a defensively focused group um he's a little small to play the three but i think he at least has quick feet and he will try to pressure up a a little bit so i think he can be a quality defender if he wants to be which is more than you can say for some of the other players on this roster unfortunately we can't talk about cleveland's other first round pick dylan winler because he didn't play at all this year due to injury Man, I just love American Giants. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside these things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finisher code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time 
nightmare in the room that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us that means we should turn to the detroit pistons and siku Dumboya, who uh was a very young i think he was if not the youngest player in the nba pretty close uh this season had a nice debut uh maybe his first four or five games and then and i was like wow this guy's really doing something like why was he on the bench because they had no guys are actually the size of a three and then he just really struggled the the overall numbers uh, were quite atrocious as would be expected for a 19 year old yeah especially a 19 year old who played most of his minutes on the bad the worst version of these pistons 6.2 per 47 percent true shooting on 17 usage worth noting you know this is in 750 minutes so not a not a, a minuscule sample but a fair, fairly small one but also when you consider that Dabuya's mo- like what he did the most in terms of frequency of possessions was spotting up and normally be like hey that's it that's an easy way to you know get possessions you don't have you're more of a dependent player but it doesn't help when you're shooting 29 percent on three well and the other thing that doesn't help you know i think he could i think he's a better shooter than that i think he will be a better shooter than that you know interestingly if you look at synergies classifications which you know are subject to a little bit of selection bias there right like if the guy misses when they look at it as either catch and shoots in the half court is either they classify as either guarded or unguarded and you're probably just subconsciously more likely to call it guarded if the guy misses but you know that presumably that's something that would uh, apply to uh all players and he was only 10 out of 42 on guarded catch and shoots and unguarded he actually was uh, average at about the same number and so especially for a guy like him to have half of your catch and shoot jumpers as guarded when he's not really a shooter at this point you know his selection could be a little better you mentioned the 17 usage and you know maybe that needed to be even lower probably should be if you're at 47 percent true shooting and the other thing that was a disappointment for me was you know he had like a couple of huge dunks but his finishing was truly atrocious uh really like for example his transition he was fifth percentile in transition a lot of those uh, are uh, attempts to finish uh, at the rim and uh he really would kind of bounce off of guys just get blocked in really ugly ways didn't have a, a great understanding of either how to use his body or what he could get away with as a finisher that's been a common theme obviously uh, as we've talked about these young players it, but most of these guys are not six eight the way he is right and Dabuya also only made 55 percent of his shots in the restricted area overall transition and non-transition and the overall aggressiveness kind of stats is, is something concerning so we talked about his physical gifts Dabuya only took 33 percent of his shots in the restricted area and only got to the line for three free throws per hundred possessions so even if you scale it out for pace and, and for minutes played he's just not getting to the line enough and those you know some of that is you're playing on a playing on a bad team and they're they're you're not forcing as much help and everything else but and he's 19 but if you know it, it's it's the type of the type of thing that like sticks in your craw a little bit and then if it continues into the 2020 slash 21 season then they become red flags well interestingly didn't do this much but some of the self-created stuff like as a pick and roll ball handler or in isolation limited reps but was actually about a point per possession on some of those plays and it showed the ability to drive to his left actually change speeds it made made a couple of guys look bad on occasion you know i think he from his younger days probably fancies himself as more of a scorer and you know i think it's it's more important for him to focus on playing a role right now but maybe that gives you a little bit of a thought that there could be some upside as a scorer here you know with him just being this young we'll see whether that 
develops much uh, at all uh i think if he just gets stronger that could solve a lot of his problems on both ends yes. in particular as a finisher um where he's just he's getting knocked off course uh, and uh, isn't able to finish and then defensively when he comes at it with the proper technique i thought he was able to move his feet well and stay in front of people but he rarely does that and so he'll either get a little bit out of his stance or the guy's about to go by him. He'll put his hands on him. Uh, you know, I thought a typical play, you know, not knowing the scouting report, he tries to pressure up on Giannis like 28 feet from the basket. And so Giannis just takes one dribble and blows by him for a dunk. It's just kind of not really knowing the scouting report that well. Um, I mean, you don't want to let him get going, but if you pressure up on him and you just let him go in a straight line, like he's probably going to be faster than you going to the basket. So those are, and then as well, you know, he could kind of stay with his man a little bit, but then uh, shoulder to shoulder, the guy would be able to knock him backwards. So I think if he gets stronger, that'll help him a lot. I also really enjoyed his game as a cutter. And he also would even do like some quick fake DHOs. Like he actually used his brain to get some buckets, uh, which I uh, appreciated. So, um, you know, the three-pointer and the defense are going to be the swing skills for him, most likely as far as like having a good career. I, there might be a little bit more there in terms of scoring ability. Probably not, but there were a couple of flashes um, anything else that you want to say on him? No, we can jump to Luke Kennard. This was Kennard's third season and his age 23 campaign. And Kennard only played in 28 games due to injury, but did finish with 16 yeah. points and four assists in his 33 minutes per game, starting almost all of those. Um, 14, 14 PER, 59% true shooting on 19.8 usage. And worth noting, had a larger role as an assister, as a creator, partially due to the injuries to guys like Blake Griffin. They put more on Kennard's shoulders and I thought he did a decent enough job with it. Yeah, you know, I mean, only 28 games. He had that bilateral knee soreness, which I guess was more like tendonitis that kept him out for nearly two months uh, straddling the new year. And so, you know, I'd kind of give him a, an incomplete here. He is a, a player that I really struggle to classify. Uh, you know, if you want to tell me of like whether I believe in Luke or, or ask me if I believe in Luke Kennard or not, I really don't have a great answer for you. Um, you know, I, I think he does some nice things. I'm not sure he's like quite there as a shooter where you're like really freaking out about him. He could definitely hit shots and hit them well. I'm not sure if he quite has the level of like shoot it on the move, panic the defense that you want. You know, he's got some skills as a driver and pick and roll player, but he's also not really a primary option there. His finishing is okay for his size, but he's got limited physical tools and defensively he's never going to be a plus either. So, you know, I still, I think of him as kind of more of a backup in the end than your future starter, but it's possible that he could put it together enough offensively to be like a, a very solid shooting guard. Um, you know, am I trying to pay him 15 million a year in an extension? No, uh, but, uh, and the health issues have been a little bit concerning, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, what do you think of him as a player? I really just don't have a great feel for him. He's never wowed me, but you know, he does some things that you like. I agree with a lot of what you said, but I think there's one important piece of context that you didn't mention. That's if we're thinking more in the scope of all NBA teams rather than the best of the best or anything like that, there is a huge positional scarcity at the two. Yeah, you mean all NBA teams, not all NBA teams. Yes. 
Yes. Is that, that, that's no, no hyphen. Okay. No hyphen there. Just, just, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> is, is that there, there just aren't that many, you know, yeah, sure. You'd love to have infinite small forwards and just, just play that and, and run switchy stuff. There are all sorts, all sorts of things. But the one of the fundamental problems with the league right now, and we do this with position rankings, is just that there aren't that many, even just like capable small forwards or shooting guards, sorry. And so I think Kennard, he can be capable. I think that I, I like that he is it shown more skill and, and feel on the ball. That was something I actually liked from him him going back to his rookie year i noticed that you know he didn't have as many opportunities then but i liked it you know that's a pretty good judgment and he can he can shoot it i don't think he's at the level where it forces panic and then defensively he's certainly not great but i don't think he's like abysmal or anything like that and so there i i think that he can start but i think that if he's your starter you're always looking for someone better and the money the money challenge is there because it's at some point the rubber is going to meet the road you know you get those four years of bliss with when a player is on a rookie scale deal and they're they're underpaid if they can actually play basketball which Luke Kennard clearly can and then it's like oh crap what are we going to do now and that's where the Pistons are either this offseason with an extension or next offseason with a, a matching or signing him to a new contract but I, yeah I actually think it might be make more it might have made more sense to pay him if you really had a foundation where he's going to be playing off of these other players yeah where you knew you knew he could be your fourth or fifth best starter if you knew that right yeah. now I would feel more confident you know it's kind of like the the theory of somebody like Harrison Barnes even though, but Barnes has the benefit of being a position that's more valuable yeah I, uh, one thing to watch on him too is 70 jumper or I'm sorry 60 jumpers off the dribble out of pick and roll and he had 70 points on those I mean that's now that could be a, a little bit unsustainable and he's taking a lot of threes uh, on those too so I mean if he's really could be just like jacking three-pointers off the dribble and hitting them at that kind of a rate but that's probably more likely to be unsustainable uh should we move to Bruce Brown yeah, let's do it. So this was Brown's age 23 season. We talked about him a little bit in the star- stars that m- might surprise you pod, but 8.9 points, uh, five rebounds, four assists in 28 minutes a game, still below average PER at 12, 52% true shooting on 16 usage, more than doubled his, his assist percentage though, up to 20.4. And somewhat encouragingly, uh, 34% on threes, but it's only 2.9 per 100 possessions, which is somehow a lower three-point attempt rate compared to last year. Uh, but he, but Brown did get to the line a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, par- part of that's probably just because he took more twos this yes, year. Yes, I agree. Yeah. Well, no, no, so that's that's three per position, but I think you could see it that way, just that there are only so many shots he's going to take, period. That's not three-point attempt rate. Yeah. That's three-point attempt rate per 100 possession, not pro- of his total shot profile. Uh, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, all right, I guess I was wrong then. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, he... I mean, I don't believe in the shot. I think he's still a little reluctant to take it. You can kind of almost see the wheels turning of like, well, the coaches tell me I'm supposed to take this. You know, and it takes him a while to get it off uh, as well. It looks more comfortable from the corners. And I mean, it's very interesting because it's rare that you'll see this from a guy with only 16% usage that by far his most common play type is as a pick and roll ball handler that's 30% of his possessions and while he had some ability you know he had those triple doubles in summer league and it has some ability to distribute and, and decent ball handling. He's also not really a scoring threat out of the pick and roll, only 0.7 points per possession. And so, you know, on this crappy team, especially if Derek Rose and Reggie Jackson were out, they asked him to do more of that. But it's, I, I don't think that, that almost seems like it's a distraction for what he really needs to do, which is uh, get better as a shooter to, to me. Um, well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's his this... finishing is atrocious. Yeah. 
I mean, 44% around the basket in half court overall. Yeah, overall, I think it was a little bit better. It was 60%, but I think that's because he did a lot of that damage in transition. But there's, so in the last one of these, the Pacific Division, we talked about Alex Caruso. And like, I mean... I, Bruce Brown, there are so many things defensively that I just love about him. Like his, his give a shit index is really, really high. But as a practical matter, guards who are very good and very active defensively have to do other things too in order to be viable as something more than a modest rotation player. And Bruce Brown just isn't there yet. He can't really create enough for himself in the pick and roll. He's not a spot, a good enough spot up guy. You know, like there are times that you can, like Patrick Beverly, he gets into guys, but you can play Patrick Beverly alongside better offensive players and your team's going to work. And Brown's 23. There's still time for him to get better. And I mean, if, if I were to just like shoot as many jump shots as you can, get your fo- get confidence in your form, be comfortable taking more volume. Like that's a, volume is very important here too. Because without that, he could still be a player that I'll, I'll appreciate for what he is, but it will be hard for coaches of teams that aren't the current Detroit Pistons to play him a lot. Yeah, you know, Alex Caruso is an interesting comparison for him i mean i think caruso is a little bit better passer and help defender but uh bruce brown is a a better on ball defender also i think if he just had a little bit more size to guard the best guys uh on the wing then that might kind of change his destiny he really is more shooting guard size and i think uh he can do a credible job on on those players because they don't necessarily have anyone else but uh and i like the way he heats up the ball as well uh, as a when he's guarding smaller players so you know he's definitely going to have a, a long nba career because of that defense and it's just to me like i i just think this pick and roll ability he turns it over a fair amount as well this pick and roll ability is just kind of like he's he's just taking stuff off the table for other players right now because when you throw it to him instead of him wanting to just take the open shot um he's either going to drive it and not be able to finish or he's waiting for the offense kind of grinds to a halt while he waits for the step up screen to come on the other side and then he gets into his pick and roll game and that just with at the level he's scoring that just isn't efficient so he needs to find a way to be a a better shooter i mean and we talked about him as as a guy who could potentially get a lot better uh, on that next star i mean i don't think he's going to be a superstar but you know as i think he could be an extremely valuable player if he can improve that jump shot but it's still you know as i watched more film of him today i kind of was like yeah that he's i know his percentage is a little bit better but he's got just in terms of his mentality and his form uh he's got a long long way to go there um well, let's let's go to a guy who has let's go to a yeah. guy who has good mentality and form from as a three-point shooter uh old friend Sfi mikhailuk age 22 season nine points two rebounds two assists in about 23 minutes a game started half of the games he played for the pistons this year 27 games 11 per 58 percent true shooting on 17 usage and I'm not going to say it's the bread butter because it's the bread and butter and everything else for Svi so far is his three-point shooting 11 threes per 100 possessions and made 40% of them they are 70% of the shots he took this year yeah no uh, and but his true shooting 58% only 2% better than the league average like well wait a minute he's shooting 40% on threes and he's taking 70% of his shots from three like how is it that he's not you know over 60% true shooting and that's because his two-point game is really a struggle I mean if you look at uh 
as a pick and roll ball handler uh as a finisher he was 23 of 69 at the rim oh no in the half court and so he's well he does have this 37 inch vertical he's got short arms he's got small hands he can't really get good extension you know really his only move is kind of go along the lane line and hope that he can just loft it over the big which is not an efficient shot for him he'll get a lot uh, blocked in an ugly fashion um now he does have some playmaking ability you know that's kind of better used as he's trying to leverage the threat of his shot and that's where i really uh, was pleased with him he's starting to increase the versatility of his jump shot shooting three pointers on the move going either right or left he can do the flyby off of a closeout or they even ran a lot of out of bounds plays for him to get three pointers particularly going to his right uh coming off of screens and that looked pretty decent and so i think if he can continue to refine that and get to be really one of those on the move type of shoes both he and canard are kind of in that category at this point uh but you know if he can kind of move more towards that duncan robinson kind of role uh then it, you know i think it can look pretty good for him defensively uh he was definitely a target in small small pick and rolls to some degree the short arms don't do him any favors there either you know certainly a well i think he tries hard and is not just like making a ton of mistakes you know he's gonna be a, a liability defensively but i was pleased with, with uh what i saw from him as i went back particularly that shooting on the move if that's something can continue to develop uh even i mean he's, this is his age 22 season his second year and he spent what four years at kansas before that so you think that he's older so he's still a lot of these shooters too you'll see them kind of develop later into their mid-20s as they really get the hang of playing off the ball in the nba and hopefully he can be one of those guys um what would you give him for a development rating i guess we, we forgot to do bruce brown too actually. uh i'll give svi i'll give him a six i think that doing a little bit more with the ball in his hands is there and defensively not a ton there but I, I'm, I'm okay with that i mean he's his jump shot's getting more versatile and his jump shot is what he needs it to be so i, I i'll give him a six and brown i'll give brown a five uh agreed on both counts let's talk uh well Kyrie Thomas like we're gonna skip 61 minutes there's talk that he might even be waived at the deadline I would be surprised if he were on this this team next year I didn't really see a ton from him uh in summer league I mean he's really kind of an on-ball player but doesn't have a lot of juice and doesn't bring that much uh, aside from that and especially on this team only plays 61 minutes despite all their injuries at guard kind of tells you what the organization thinks of him at this point, let's move on to the Pacers. We'll start with Goka Patatze. Their first round pick in 2019 was a little bit of a surprise considering the bigs that they already have on roster. But so that meant Patatze didn't have a lot of playing time. Uh, 8.4 minutes per game, three three points, two rebounds. And what I wanted to investigate a little bit with him, I mean, yeah, we're not dealing with a garbage with Tibble. Patatze only had 12 PER and 53% true shooting on 18 usage. And I was like, I mean, a big guy who only has 53% true shooting, why is it so low? And it's interesting because Batate does a few he, like he's successful in a few of the areas that could potentially be pitfalls there like made 78% of his shots in the restricted area made 73% of his free throws but he only took a quarter of his shots in the restricted area and he didn't get to the line very much so instead he you know took a, a fair amount of threes only made 17% of those and took more two-point jumpers than shots in the restricted area and didn't make a ton of those so I, I, I there's a lot that I like about Batate on offense and defense but that those ratios those were portions need to get a lot better 
Yeah, and I mean, the ball's just got to go in for you. You mentioned the 17% from three. I mean, I think he has enough of a reputation as a shooter and just the type of shots that he was willing to take, kind of deeper threes, pick and pop. Uh, He shoots an easy ball. Uh, So, you know, I think the shooting is going to come around at least to a passable degree. You know, is that going to be 34% or 38%? You know, I'm not sure about that yet. And that's going to determine a lot in terms of whether he actually gets that reputation as a shooter where he needs to be guarded out there. Um, he also just kind of needs to tighten up his mechanics and release. You know, he, he's not really on balance a lot of time. He's, he's very casual with this shot. You know, his shot prep is not great. The release is not that fast. Um, so, I, but I think you know that's all stuff that's that's going to happen for him. Like that's that's going to work out. Uh, you know, certainly the potential of his skill set is something that we're intrigued by because he can block shots on the other end. I think when he's in position, he does need to get stronger in terms of his verticality. Guys can kind of knock him backwards and score on him. But when guys aren't getting into his body, he does have a major effect to me. I mean, you see kind of Brook Lopez style almost where guards will get into the lane and go for a floater and he'll contest it late and they'll have really bad misses because they're just surprised at how much he's able to affect that shot. Um, I also thought that his feet were a little bit quicker than I would expect. You know, he's, I wouldn't say he's plotting, you know, he's not, it, you know, if you compared him to say, you know, like an Avicii Zubac, I think he does not quite the like ability to wall up that Zubac has. Zubac is a little bit older, but I think, uh, Bataze has like a little bit quicker of feet I would agree. Uh, than someone like that. Um, so, so that was encouraging. So, like, the, the, um, the, the, I, I got a couple other things on him, but but yeah, what did you? Want I, to say? Just kind of a big picture thing with Patate is like I, I what I was thinking about kind of like where it's going with him, and I'm not comparing them necessarily as players, but I, I I've been writing my offseason previews, and I've been thinking about Jakob Pertl, and it's this idea of like there there is this area of a like totally useful viable center that isn't like a star that's just like I just don't know where they go in the, in like in the league today. I think they're actually underrated because you still need players to log those minutes, and I think Patate. Say he could be one of those players, but I also think that he has more upside because of the defensive tools. And I think a lot of the offensive challenges that he had as a rookie are 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 able to be cleaned up with his skill set. Yeah, and again, the thought that he would have this shooting potential is something that might separate him sure. a little bit from someone like Pirtle. Now, I will say that Pirtle to me is more athletic, speedier in transition, better finisher, and probably better feet. Offensive as well. rebounder too. Yes. Yeah. That's something that Batadze is not really huge on. You know, you don't, I wasn't like wowed by how hard he was playing out there necessarily. Uh, and the other thing too, is I don't think he's really a great finisher right now. He's not really an alley-oop threat. He can block the shots, but that's really more about length and he's got to really load up as a role man. Again, all limited minutes here, but numbers were a little bit disappointing and you know, he's, he's not going to be able to go in and dunk on you or really didn't seem to have like a ton of finesse finishes he kind of relied on like short flips around the basket that didn't seem to be particularly accurate he didn't look very facile moving into the lane catching the ball on the move in traffic and finishing so you know i don't think he i could see him kind of evolving into like a pure pick and pop specialist as time goes on you know i don't think he i think he's a, a minus finisher around the basket for a center at this point in time maybe as he gets stronger that could change yeah i think that's fair um, but still, if you can shoot and you can block some shots, uh, there's probably a place for you. And so he just, I think he, with reasonable improvement in those areas, he could be a player. Let's go to Aaron Holiday, the youngest of the three holidays. And the this was his second season, age 23 season, as somebody who played a couple of years, who played a while at UCLA. And 
Holiday started 26 games out of the 58 he played, largely due to injury. It wasn't like he was stirring. It was just that Malcolm Brogdon and Victor Oladipo both missed time. 9.4 points, 3.3 assists in 24 minutes a game. Uh, uh, 12 PER, 52% true shooting on 20% usage. And all of those, the, the, like the rate stats are pretty similar to his rookie year. Um, and, but the one important improvement holiday, he, after making 34% of his threes as a rookie made 39% this year and kept his, his attempt rate, it dropped a little bit, but you know, it stayed pretty, pretty, pretty well. So that's something worth keeping an eye on. And something you want to talk about a little bit is his role with the Pacers is unusual. Yeah. That's important to talk about here. He's not playing in a pure point guard role uh, and a lot of times on the second unit which was his normal role he and tj mcconnell would play together and so that left holiday really in much more of an off-ball role and particularly i think prevented him from doing much setting up others because mcconnell is going to dribble and dribble and dribble and probe and then he'll pass it to you and it's your turn to to make a play and score and without this him providing any spacing it's tough to uh, really set guys up uh, as well so he was asked to be more of a scorer also when he's playing he started some games when brogdon was injured so in the starting lineup he's not gonna be anywhere close to the biggest threat the main pick and roll guy he started some games with brogdon as well when some of their shooting guards were out victor oladipo obviously being one of those so uh just a important to note as well i mean i do think the way that he shot the ball was important to be a viable player he's got to get up to 39 percent now the problem is this two point percentage dropped to 42 percent and his finishing got a little bit worse he didn't play much last year obviously um but still not atrocious for a small guard like him you know at 56 percent around the rim but really like floater range mid-range was a really a struggle for him so that's how you get to that 42 percent from two that's that of course is going to have to get better well and not and him. not getting to the line very much so like that, yeah. that combination is is really hard and that's what leads to a player having 52 percent true shooting despite making 39 percent of their of their threes and i i think that context is also important so a couple of different other stats i want to mention for holiday 1.38 points per possession catch and shoot 0.883 um off the dribble that is and and so he took some bad jump shots off the dribble did. too you know like like to have a usage of 19 percent, you're like okay you know he's probably pretty judicious but he's still he just has a bad habit of coming off the pick and roll the guy goes over the screen so he's trailing him and then he just tries to squeeze off this jumper with the guy on his back and rushes and he shot he must have shot 20 percent on those shots yeah, that's a big challenge, and that's it's also part of why. I mean, and again, we talked about the context that low low efficiency as a scorer, as a pick and roll ball handler, and not much better if you add in his passes. You know, a little bit better, but again, some of that some of that is context. I mean, my my instinct with Holiday, I haven't seen enough juice from him to think that he's a, a starter in waiting. And at 23 years old, you you, you want to give him a little bit more time, but not a ton. And there's still a place though for a capable, you know, somebody who can shoot off ball, who can maybe play, who has a little bit more on ball when you put them in the right circumstance. But remember that, you know, they, they took holiday in, in the first round. It was the 23rd pick in 2018. So we could define terms on whether that is successful or not uh, for them. But if in terms of development score, I'm not going to go super high just because I, I, I think that what we saw from him is useful, but it wasn't as indicative as what we're going to need for him to be a long time pro. So I'm going to, I'm going to give him a five just because the shooting was was better but i'm not sure that it improved like my stance that he'll be like a 10-year nba player or anything like that 
Yeah, it's interesting on him. I mean, I, I enjoyed the aesthetics of his game. I also thought that despite the fact that the stats were a little bit lower, I thought he still, uh, he took more of his shots in the restricted area. And I thought just watching him that he had some pretty impressive finishes like sometimes you'll just i kind of like to just mentally freeze it when a guy goes up for a shot in the restricted area and just kind of see like okay do i expect him to make this or not and then see what ends up happening whether he kind of exceeds my expectations based on who the defender is and where he is and and where he's taking off from and he had a, a few plays where i was like okay wow that was pretty nice he's getting good extension on these layups he's double pumping he's got good feel to get it around the guy so i, I thought he looked better as a finisher even if uh, the uh percentage wasn't quite as good um so I like that. And then the fact that he was able to hit that 39% from three as well. So I would give him a six. I think he also got better defensively in particular, reducing his foul rate was uh, essential. Um, and, you know, I think he, he wasn't, uh, those Pacers bench units did pretty well uh, when he was out there. Uh, you know, a lot of that was Sabonis and just kind of the fit of those guys and going against backups. But, you know, he was able to be an effective NBA player. Like he wasn't hurting the team at age 23 as a six foot point guard. You know, that was solid to me. So I, I would give him a six. Um, you know, he's another guy where, yeah, do I want to put all my chips in that he's going to be a future starter? No, but I think at a minimum, he's going to be a solid backup for a long time. That's fair. Uh, let's Can't say that about TJ Lee. No, though. Aaron Holiday's former college teammate. Um, it's, I mean, I, I, I brought up Caleb Swanigan and a few other guys before. These power forward only guys who get taken in the late first round. Actually, that's right. TJ Leaf was 18th. I forgot that he wasn't like 28th. And it's just, yeah. it's just a struggle because they have to, they have to be efficient on offense. They have to be capable on defense. And it's true. Like, I mean, Leaf in limited sample size, all three years, he, you know, he played about 500 minutes his first two years, played less than 200 this year, but 49% true shooting on 19% usage, just as a small part, you know, 7.7 .7 minutes per game on, on this Pacers team. And I, I mean, I was it's just like, what's the point? <laughs> I, I, I mean, maybe, maybe he. Yeah, they should have declined his option. I think. I agree. I mean, just um, like where, where, because yeah, he, cause he wasn't going to play. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, you know, we've talked about this for a long time with him, and so I, and there's really, you know, it, he didn't play, even though they don't really have like a traditional power forward on the team. Like if they had wanted to go with that route and he were any good, maybe he could have carved out from time. But it, uh, it really, uh, yeah. Like I mean, he's got to be a given his defensive limitations, he's got to be. A a really solid offensive player to be worth playing and that was not the case this season even with the the fact that he made 36 percent of his threes in limited minutes he just doesn't really do anything else that uh is going to scare you they also have uh edmund sumner at, at age 24 and uh, played 345 minutes they have a long 6-6 skinny defender uh has some pick and roll ability had a little bit of a reputation as a scorer coming out of xavier remember they signed him to a two-way because he's coming off a torn acl and they've been trying to develop him uh, i know my guy jay michael has been really high on his defense but uh, I haven't seen that much of him. He doesn't really have any kind of a bread and butter offensively. He's a reluctant three-point shooter. And at, you know, probably like 6'5", 180, there isn't that much that he can do for you defensively at the guard position. Um, and, you know, I don't think he's like a Bruce Braun type defensively. I, don't, I wouldn't put him quite at that level to for someone that we talked about already today so um you know i think he's worth continuing to develop uh on the back end of the rotation but i 
would if he had to ask me whether he's going to ever be a rotation player or not i'd say probably not um and then alizé johnson we only saw 54 minutes from him this year another of these kind of man without a country types i love the way that he rebounds but he's kind of you know like 6 8 2 15 and he's been working on it on his three-point shot but uh you know an incomplete for him and we haven't seen him at, at the big league level at all and uh we, we were enough guys here i didn't have time to go and look at his uh his g league film but um you know with this being it i think is this his second or third year second he was drafted in 2018 yeah so didn't take any three-point attempts in 54 minutes and I, but really the 54 minutes is your this is a deep team obviously so it's not totally damning but he seems like more of a, a g league type of player with that physical profile ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run the slice of skates cutting across the ice but what about this one that's the sound of all the sports you love, all at once. Starting at $40 a month, experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Before we get to some news, we got one more team to get to, the Milwaukee Bucks. And the main guy there is Dante DiVincenzo. This was his age 23 season, and really I would say his first full NBA year. Remember, he only played 411 minutes after an injury-plagued rookie year coming out of Villanova. And this year played 1,300 minutes and did was an important part of the league's best team before the hiatus. DiVincenzo averaged 9 points, 5 rebounds in 23 minutes game, 22 starts, 15 PER, 57 true shooting on 17 usage, and importantly, 34% on 7 points. 0.4 threes per 100 possession yeah that jump shot is probably his best asset offensively the versatility of it particularly taking deep threes he'll come off the screens every once in a while i mean he's not shooting it like you know legs akimbo on the move but he, he can come off a screen and shoot it and shoot it from a few feet behind the line as well he's got solid aggression there so 34 percent was good he had that truncated season last year also worth noting by the way that he's really an analytics darling when and you know he plays on the box they have a great system i wouldn't ascribe a lot of that benefit to him but i think he, he is a quality player he provides nice energy plays from the two guard position and you know, anytime you're a guy that young and you're rating as one of the best players in the nba by some of the plus minus metrics that at least makes you take notice yeah. if not well uh, full, full color yeah. on that he is for the for the full season so far 27th in rpm and 29th in pipm which is pretty incredible for a second year player but i i think a good way of describing that is you know the value like the value he creates on offense so he did run pick and roll about so he, there were 105 where he took a shot out of it you know totally fine creation there but a lot of it was you know hustling the foreign transition being a capable spot-up shooter and then competing really hard in defense and DiVincenzo deserves a lot of credit for doing a great job of what he was asked to do and then Mike Budenholzer I, I'm sure that's part of why they have faith in him but we got asked like why we didn't talk about him much in the or at all in the future stars podcast and and that is because to me that's a different standard and it comes to the idea of scalability and it's DiVincenzo can do what he is doing right now very well but a star has to take on a high, a, a larger role both in terms of the cha- the difficulty of what they do and the volume of what they do and maybe i'm just underselling him entirely possible but i just when i watch divincenzo i don't see that guy who can you know dominate more possessions and create for himself and teammates or take on insanely hard defensive assignments though i do love how he gets into guys and how 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 much he can fight for rebounds and, and fight for steals and deflections 
Like, I love all that stuff, but that is, it's not the same type of thing. Yeah, you know, as a pick-and-roll ball handler, you see that, ah, you know, he had a pretty high number of pick-and-rolls, especially for a team that doesn't run a lot of pick-and-rolls, and uh, 0.85 points per possession, and then in, in handoff situations, uh, he was good as well. But really, that's being put in position to succeed, and then just going right away, going hard with that drive to his right hand. He is a capable passer, but not particularly an incisive one, I would say. You know, he's really an off-guard who could run a little pick-and-roll. That's what he's advertised as out of college. I think that's uh, proven to be true here. But when it really gets into okay, you need to create something against a set defense. That's where I think he's not really capable of doing that. You know, his craft in the pick and roll doesn't really impress me. They are a shoe mid-rangers, but he doesn't really seem to have much of a mid-range game. He's not like getting the guy in jail on his back and making plays or making you know awesome passes to the roll man it's sort of like okay quick catch on the move on a handoff and then the guy rolls to the basket and he hits him right quickly before the the defense correct which is a valuable play to make but it's not also like he is necessarily creating that opening he's more just doing it as a, a part of the buck system so that's very valuable and especially with his shooting ability uh you know i think he can be a quality off guard also his rebounding on yes. both ends is really fantastic i mean that's just uh, he's a wonderful two-foot leaper not quite as good as a one-foot leaper but he can really use that as well he's a good cutter um you know he fits really well within their system and what he's being asked to do is he going to grow beyond that you know i don't know i think you just continue to refine the shot continue to take incremental improvement in some of the areas that he is he's also defensively i like him chasing guys around screens either at the point of attack or off the ball but he doesn't really have the size uh to switch but certainly i think a quality defender at the two guard position and it's not really fair to give him a development grade because he played so little last year. So I think we can we can leave that as an incomplete, not because of his 2019-20, but because of his 18-19. The apple of Bucks Twitter's eye, DJ Wilson, played little. Uh, they brought in first Robin Lopez and then Marvin Williams. And, and of course, Ersan Ilyasova was there as well. All of them were going to play ahead of him. So it was mostly garbage time for Wilson and you know, it's really not enough to make any kind of a judgment. I think you go back to what we said about him in summer league. Uh, you know, the shot was not there this year, 48% true shooting, but uh, really just I would more default to what he did last year and what he did in summer league to judge him than the 280 minutes this year, especially because he really was almost never playing in a real situation. We can talk a little bit about Sterling Brown. Brown played 665 minutes this year, his age 24 season. And again, you know, like there were there were times earlier in his Bucks tenure where like Brown could could be intriguing. There was I I I you know his physical tools could be there, like whether he could be like kind of a three D two guard, which is always hard if you're more that than a switch guy but there's hasn't I, I i just there isn't enough there there for me at this point and remember brown yeah. this is a really tough time for him to do that because he's a pending restricted free agent depending on how all this stuff were squares out yeah well and keep in mind too again i you know i think he could be a rotation player for another team sure. in fact he was at times last year uh you know but really with they brought in kyle corver divincenzo was healthy this year pat Connaughton. you know that's three guys who are pretty much playing his position ahead of him you've also got george hill who could play some shooting guards so there really wasn't necessarily a spot for him uh, unless uh, there were significant injuries you know he has tried to grow i think at times of being more of a an on-ball player 
and a driver but that hasn't really worked out both based on summer league and then this year i mean some of the stats as a finisher were grizzly so uh 21 points on 44 possessions as a pick and roll ball handler that's fourth percentile and then somehow he was first percentile in and that's not transition good. yeah yeah that actually made up 25 percent of his offense and uh in particular when he tried to dribble the ball up as a, as a ball handler he turned it over 27 percent of the time and just atrocious numbers there so it, it seems like he's really he's gonna have to transition into more of a three and d role you know i don't think he's elite at either of those he doesn't quite have the athleticism or quick feet to really be a stopper on defense but i think he could be a quality option there and i think he can be an acceptable three-point shooter but i you know i think the rubber is meeting the road as far as all right you're gonna have to really start specializing on these two things to have a career because uh, throughout his career really the more on ball stuff just hasn't really worked out for him i just don't think he has the juice to do that type of stuff in the nba uh, as of now and maybe ever yeah i and, and he's someone too i think could you know he's going to be a, a free agent after this year I, I think he could potentially use a change of scenery like i think he can be a, a a solid backup guard uh but we haven't uh we just didn't get a chance to see it this year from him because of the, of the bucks crazy depth i think that's totally fair you want to get to some news yeah i mean and i think the place to start here is just the overall situation once more i think like Five, six teams have closed their facilities now due to positive coronavirus tests. Unclear whether those are among players. I mean, it's really been difficult to come by information due to uh, privacy concerns. I mean, I guess we'll find out more when you just see who's actually in Orlando. Um, For example, the Pelicans signed Sindarius Thornwell, replacing someone uh, who tested positive for coronavirus, but we don't know who that player is yet. (laughs) Um, Thornwell, by the way, I think it would be a good project for Fred Vinson because he defends pretty well and he's got decent athleticism but could never shoot so that's actually a great player to get into new orleans system with uh, fred vince and their shooting coach but uh, i digress i don't make too much of the idea that the facilities are being closed because you've got two three days before they're going to be going to orlando anyway so why risk it i mean i think you know i do ask the question of if you're actually maintaining social distancing why do you need to close the facility uh but maybe they're just it's too much of a concern or they just want to be exceedingly exceedingly cautious and it's like hey for three days of practice is it really worth it probably not so i understand that viewpoint i mean what i really want to know it seems like based on the timing of some of these announcements that it's unclear whether it's staffers or players uh but it does seem now you know if testing started on june 22nd if we're having these announced you know now as we're into july you know you'd expect that any infections acquired before june 22nd would have been discovered by now uh, you know five six days later is when you should be picking up on the test for sure so it does appear i mean again we're surmising here a little bit because we don't have many specifics but it does appear that players and or people in the traveling party have been still continuing to acquire the virus in their home markets and that's a little disturbing because the theory was that these players are going to essentially be isolating at home only going out for uh, essential groceries and stuff like that and same things with their family now nobody can enforce that but that's what's supposed to be happening and it seems relatively clear that that's not necessarily what's happening i mean you know who knows maybe the player got it after his wife started isolating on june 22nd but she got it right before then and so you can construct a narrative where maybe everyone's being good about it but 
seems like probably more likely than not that's not the case um and uh we've seen now fc dallas and the mls bubble is not gonna be able to play they had insufficient entry procedures and that's what i've been the most focused on here is whether you're gonna be able to prevent any coronavirus cases from coming into the bubble that's the whole point of the bubble and the nba is much stricter procedures with this testing that's been going on you know they're probably gonna have taken eight or nine tests by the time they leave for orlando starting on on the 7th with these teams but i'm uh i still wish that they're either gonna do what zach benny a good epidemiologist who's been on a lot of sports podcasts uh, was calling an airlock where they spend five days in a hotel like really isolating before they leave or if they executed a longer quarantine once they get to orlando more in the four or five day range than you know more like what's going to probably be 48 hours where you get two consecutive negative tests and then you can start having close contact with people so that's uh sorry for the long soliloquy there danny but i I think that's that's kind of where we stand right now i'm still cautiously optimistic but this next probably 10 days or so 15 days is really to me is going to determine the success or failure of this project if they can get in there with minimal positive tests or even none in the five days after they get there then i think they got a good shot pulling this off yeah i'm I'm interested in that we we also have some news of people that will not be joining their parties into the orlando bubble i think the most notable for me is victor oladipo that is not covid related is recovery from his quad tendon related but that and that is concerning considering he returned to action before the hiatus and doesn't doesn't feel that he's that he's going to be there and that also of course makes the Pacers a lot less interesting they're in this potential seeding battle with the Philadelphia 76ers for 5-6 probably maybe one of them could jump the heat for fourth and makes the Pacers you know they, they could still do damage of course but they're they're not going to be as compelling a team inside the bubble with Oladipo not there um yeah let, let me add to that a little bit I mean this is you know, okay, I, I I would like it better, frankly, if he's just like I didn't want to go because of coronavirus. But he's actually going to go and be there with the team. They're not going to sign a replacement player for him. Uh, and it's kind of has to be one of two things. I mean, number one is okay, he's still not fully healthy. Seventeen months after this injury, and yeah, I I get that there's a, an increased chance of injury if you're ramping up again if you if you've been taking some time off. But you know, they could bring him along pretty slowly here. Like a month should hopefully be enough time before the playoffs to get him up to where he can at least play some minutes and help the team and also give everyone some information as far as his potential contract extension uh you know whether he they're going to offer him to that and whether he would want to take it or not uh or you know maybe there's also indicates that there is a disconnect between he and the team now you'll recall that when he got hurt he'd been playing through some knee soreness there definitely could be some hurt feelings there and justifiably so from Oladipo if they were telling him that he could play and he wasn't going to hurt himself worse and then he suffers this catastrophic injury to where he's not necessarily willing to trust what the team is saying he's he's just like wants to take it easier uh and just try to come back strong for next season when you know I think he's going to be 29 in the summer of 2021 and he wants to just you know whether he's going to get paid or not I think maybe part of this too is he's just you know not even really willing to consider an extension that wouldn't would be a lot less than the max I think he should consider it but maybe he's not and so he feels like it doesn't matter if he plays it all now he'll come back next year and that's going to determine how much he's going to get paid but you know it's not there isn't really an interpretation of this that makes it seem like a good situation no there isn't a a couple other individuals that will that will not be there that will be contributing remotely Lionel Hollins an assistant for the Lakers uh, was deemed a high-risk individual due to underlying medical conditions so he 
will not go to Orlando, but will coach remotely. And Jeff Bezdelic, the well-regarded former Rockets assistant now on the Pelican staff, will stay in New Orleans and uh, work remotely, advise the team on defensive strategy. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I think both... It should be possible as long as everyone there is good with it for, yeah, if you, you may not be able to be on the bench, but you can hopefully still contribute it in practices and contribute with suggestions, uh, particularly uh, from a scheme standpoint, uh, defensively. Um, for the Clippers, uh, Landry Shamet has tested positive for coronavirus. He is unlikely to travel to Orlando this week. He's going to have to take some time to isolate, and then he may travel there later um Dwight Howard is gonna play uh, apparently he's been in Atlanta and but supposedly he's been complying with the league's testing protocol uh and Spencer Dinwiddie is still gonna try and play and I think that would be a smart move for him if he can get there and he's feeling 100% to play but uh he was developing symptoms I think he's on day 10 he said interesting that he was in theory you're supposed to have this 14 days of not doing anything but the, he was tweeting that the team gave him some dumbbells and an exercise bike for his house and, and he was really was struggling a lot it, it seemed like uh, with symptoms he said he tried to get back on the bike uh, on the 10th day after getting diagnosed and went a little he was feeling better he went a little bit hard though and uh had to shut it down but he said he'd been spending a lot of time in bed so you know unclear i mean the symptoms can definitely linger with this hopefully not that much for uh, someone like dinwiddie who, who's in the type of shape that he's in but you know it, it's uh unclear whether he's going to make the trip initially uh he's trying to get still two negative tests he hasn't been able to get that yet um but i think he's going to at least try and play um and let's see anything else here uh marvin bagley we had said we hadn't heard anything about him reported that he is in fact healthy so it looks like he's on track to play there and then the heat have actually had a third player who's tested positive for COVID-19 and we know that one is Derek Jones Jr. we don't know who the other one is uh but Barry Jackson the Miami Herald said that they're both rotation players so they none of those players will travel into the Orlando bubble but they at least are pretty close they can just drive there if they need to it's not that big of a deal for them uh, to meet up once uh, they've had the two negative tests and, and been cleared to play by a physician so uh, I think that'll That'll do it here. Anything you want to talk about before we depart? Yeah, another one of those collaborative pieces with Seth and Dave is coming out on the Minnesota Timberwolves. You can look for that on on Tuesday when you listen to this, and those will continue into into the week, as will my uh, solo offseason previews, which are also at The Athletic. All right, and Danny and I will be back at the end of this week. We'll talk to you all then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.